This is the Western Obsessions TV podcast, where hunting's not a hobby, it's an obsession. All right, guys, welcome back to the Western Obsessions TV podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Belding. This episode is brought to you by Ready Nutrients. Live ready. My guest today uh, for this show, this episode, is Robbie Kroger with Blood Origins. And typically I do like a good little backstory on everybody. But as I was kind of putting that together for Robbie, I realized, man, I, if my, this backstory might go 30 minutes just to talk about <laughs> going on right now. But basically Blood Origins, and let me know if I'm, I'm wrong, wrong uh, Robbie, is nonprofit, a nonprofit organization exposing a truth about hunting and raising a ton of money for a ton of really good causes like I said, like I'm scratching the surface right now. Robbie's got a ton of stuff going on, but let's introduce him this morning. Good morning, Robbie. How are you? Morning, morning. Oh, great, great, great. Humble to be here. Um, I enjoy early morning podcasts. Not as early as I typically podcast uh, when I'm podcasting with South Africa and Spain and Zambia and whatnot. I actually had a call with I had a call with Zambia and South Africa this morning. That was at five thirty this morning. So, yeah, that's early. <laughs> <laughs> i'd finished working out already so that was i was already an hour into my day so oh nice man i'm a big advocate of getting up early too not that i mean i'm up about five and i start working yeah out. perfect yeah 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 but i'm sure some of those podcasts some of those calls are like you know especially over in africa super yeah it's lunchtime then it's lunchtime there at six o'clock in the morning five thirty in the morning um yeah. and that's one of the things that you know I'm, you know, that has evolved is that we have this like phenomenal global fingerprint now across the world and the world doesn't sleep, my man. It's a, it's a 24 seven world. We sleep, but whilst we're sleeping, you know, Australia is kicking, New Zealand's kicking, South Africa, Europe, everyone's starting to wake up. So you're six hours behind when you wake up in the morning and my phone, I say to people, there's, only, there's two types of people in this world. Like my phone looks pretty good right now. Like I hate seeing red, <laughs> red numbers on my phone. Yeah, there's two kinds of people in this world. One that don't really care about the red numbers, and they have like a thousand emails, unread emails, and a hundred unread text messages. That would drive me up the wall, give me anxiety. I'm the I'm kind like, of person that has to has to zero them out. I'm with you. I'm a. Uh... I am a, I got to clear the notifications type of guy. Mm -hmm. I get back, I get back right away. Cause it, it mm -hmm. bugs me. Not really. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, when we wake up in the morning, that phone looks completely different to than what it looks like now. It's WhatsApp. <laughs> you name the avenue for someone to get in touch with us. They utilize it. Yeah. Oh, there's so many different avenues too. Mm -hmm. WhatsApp's very big, especially. Huge. Um, from country to country. Yeah, Not we. I wake up to like 150 WhatsApp messages or 200 WhatsApp messages probably every day. <laughs> God, I wouldn't want to get out of bed. I wouldn't want to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this because what you'll find is I'm the most I'm 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 a really honest person. It is is certainly one of my morning ablution activities is to work through my WhatsApp list. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Robbie, let's get into some of the stuff that you do, man. Uh, give me a little background about you and um, kind of the the just be behind Blood Origins. Yeah, I'm 
Robbie Kroger um, thought about this idea five years ago, um, finally listened to some people who had a little bit of business sense and converted it into a business model that that could operate Blood Origins, which is a 501c3. We're a 501c3 non-profit, charitable, public charity organization in the United States that seeks to convey the truth about hunting and promote conservation efforts all around the world. Um, I didn't only came to hunting when I arrived in the States. Um, that was in, you know, 2005, 2006 ish. So I've only been hunting for 15 years, maybe 14, 15 years. Um, I'm 44 now, soon to be 45. So you can class me as one of those, you know, card rays of individuals that came to hunting late in its life. But hunting is certainly in my grandfather hunted sort of the meccas two wildlife paradises meccas of the world he described one was he was raised in russia in the 1910s 20s and 30s so he hunted russia uh, siberia northern china tibet as a as a teenager 20 year old 30 year old kind of scenario and then moved to mozambique in the 50s with his family and then lived the heyday of africa hunting from the 50s 60s and 70s until revolution hit in 74 um so i have lots of stories from my parents from my grandfather specifically my my father killed the cape buffalo when he was 16 years old as his birthday present um i have trophies on the wall i have all that kind of stuff but i never got to hunt i was raised in a town of johannesburg south africa eight and a half million people um and so I just, you know, we're not exposed to it. We didn't think about it. And this is how sort of our couch blood origins today. You know, we create content for the non-hunting majority. And that was me. I didn't think about hunting. I didn't have a negative perception around hunting. Um, you know, never crossed my path, except if you were like living in the social media world 15 years ago, which it wasn't, it wasn't around 15 years ago, even 20 years ago. Um, and you saw something, you know, terrible tied to hunting, then maybe you would have skewed my opinion one way or another. If I, again, I was neutral in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And so when I came to the States, I finally got to hunt and got to experience what hunting was and started talking to my, you know, grandfather through his stories and his books and whatnot. He was long dead. Um, and that's how we formed Blood Origins. Blood Origins was really just this idea of, you know, how do we convey the truth about hunters and hunting right that and it's and it's really all about and conveying means combating it means telling it means reporting it means talking it means conversing it means commenting it means all sorts of things right that word yeah and it's it's really combating the rhetoric that's against us and so you think about the types of rhetoric that's against hunting okay you hunters are just a bunch of killers okay how do we combat that rhetoric uh, we can combat that rhetoric by showcasing videos of hunters in a very emotional, vulnerable, transparent way. And that's how what we got known for. That's what put our name on the map was these videos of very famous hunters and then absolute Joe Blow hunter that lives down the street that you have no idea who this person is. Right. But they speak the same language and they each person, what I love, what I love about it is that it's not like the most engaged content in the world. And I know that, and we come to accept that because it's not sexy quote unquote for hunters. Mm -hmm. And it also doesn't every single hunter. So I'm a 
we may interview a guy out of Utah, say for instance. I don't know where you're based. Could where are you based? Colorado. Okay. So we let's interview we interview a guy out of Colorado. Big Western hunter. And that story may resonate with you because he's talking about the mountainscapes and the the air that he breathes and the you know the physical physicality of hunting. But it doesn't speak to someone who hunts whitetail in Alabama. Sure. So that story really doesn't touch that person doesn't that person would not engage with that right so and that's the thing we speak to this demographic all around the world you know a story about a new zealand hunter is really only going to touch the new zealanders it may touch a little bit of the american but so i don't care about how many people we engage because again we're not building content for hunters we're building content for non-hunters that may come across it because a hunter shared it into their non-hunting circles every anybody listening to this when you engage in social media, you have a circle of a community that lives within your circle that is full of non-hunters, you, whether you like it or not. And those are the people that this content is meant to touch. So rhetoric is, you know, tell me a little bit about your why behind why you hunt. And we've done 74 of those now, and you won't find a single one that says, I do it because I love to kill. Right. Which pushes against the rhetoric. Well, then let's do a little, let's, let's like sort of go to the next ring of the circle, which is, okay, can we do some like statistical work around the, the, the numbers tied to hunting? And here's where things get interesting. So you look at, let's look at the most, most hunted species in the world, arguably white-tailed deer. Um, then let's look at the most the biggest hunting population in the world that hunts that specific species, which is the American whitetail hunter, by far the greatest demographic of hunters in the US in the world. Well, then you ask the question, if if hunters were killers, i.e. that's all we were interested in doing, now I'll pose this to you, Kurt, because you probably never heard me talk about this. What do you think the percentage, if the rhetoric that hunting is all about killing. What would be the percentage of kill rates? Right. And white tail deer and white tail hunters. With that lead up, you would want to say it should be 100% because it's about killing. Well, 90%, right? There's some people that miss some people. So let's just say 90%. Let's just, you know, call it what it is 90%. When you look at the statistics from the National Deer Association, of all the licensed whitetail deer hunters in the country, and they and and this is all tied to reporting, and their reporting of how many deer they killed. Forty nine percent of them only killed one deer. Fifty one percent didn't kill anything. Now, again, to be honest, a lot of the I've heard the anti hunting rhetoric, non hunt not non hunters anti hunters say, oh, you guys are just shitty hunters. <laughs> Okay. Yep, some of us. <laughs> some of us, and that may be true, but such a low percentage should speak to something else. Should say that if we're only killing at a 49% average, maybe there's something else behind hunting other than killing. We'll go to Canada. Use Canada as an example. Canada's even lower, 36% if I remember the statistics correctly, of somebody getting their one deer. 
it's less than 1% of you getting a second year. So it's like, okay, now we have some science. Now we have some facts that we can push against the rhetoric, which is that it's all about. And then there's other things that we have never explored. Like I love to build a ratio from Southeast whitetail hunters of how many deer do you see versus how many deer do you kill? Yes. Because if it was all about killing, it should be close to a one-to-one -one ratio. But I honestly think, and you could apply this to, you've got elk behind you, you've got mule deer behind you, you've got pronghorn antelope behind you. You could apply it to all these species, right? In drive ratios, it's probably closer to, in the whitetail world, it's probably closer to 250 to one. Mule deer, it's probably nine to one. Pronghorn, it's probably eight to one. Elk, it's probably five to one. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, statistics that say it can't be all about killing. Right. And and me and you, it's it's easy just to know that because we're in it. We're smack dab in the middle of it. But for someone that's not in the middle of it, like this is the, the stats um need to be spoke. About yeah, and that's what we do. And that's what we do. That's why Blood Origins was built, is yeah. to take the things that we don't ever talk about, that we don't even actually ever think about, Kurt, and right. say, hey, let's push this out there. Like, for instance, I'll give you another statistic. Pennsylvania bears. Pennsylvania bear season. Every year, about 260,000 tags of bears are bought. I think the tag's like $19.89 or $22 or something like that. It generates like $3.6 million for the Pennsylvania Game and Fish Department every year. The vast majority of those tags are being bought for opportunity. Whitetail hunting. Okay. Only 3,600 bears are killed every year. So it's like 2.5 or, or I can't, I can't, I'd have to work out my math. Someone's going to call me out on my math right now, but it's like 3.6%, something like that. That is the percentage of bears taken to tags given. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you're hundred percent correct. And um, kind of like in, I come across non-hunters all the time. I don't, they're not anti-hunters. I don't, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't get in, besides social media and YouTube, I, I'm not in contact with many anti-hunters. There's mm -hmm. typically people that are just non-hunters. And if they get curious, I'll explain to them why I do what I do. And after I have my explanation, they're super intrigued and have a completely different understanding of why I do what I do and have a, quite a bit more respect. And even want to try it themselves after i explain it so what you're doing and, and obviously you're doing a whole bunch of stuff but like one of the main things you're doing is bringing that content out to the public is you're doing that on a much grander scale than i'm doing one-on-one -on -one with a friend or a friend of a friend yeah and that's all and we just you know slow steady plot up the up up the hill in terms of our growth in terms of you know how many people we touch and you know, we're only five years old that I keep thinking, I've got to remind myself, I'm like, like, why are we not bigger? 
you know, we're only five years old. We've only been a nonprofit for two and a half years, almost three years now. Um, and we don't create viral, again, we don't create viral type content. Right. We're just very consistent educational type content. Um, that just, you know, it's a slow, steady growth, slow, yeah. steady, increasing its circle of influence, the people we touch, different countries we touch, that kind of stuff. And I think you understand the impact that you're making and continue to try to make. But even us as a hunt as hunters, I think a lot of us don't understand the impact of a guy like you and an organization like you that are making for the industry and the sport of hunting, not even for our sport and our industry, but for the the non-hunters and the people that like for you, like as you said, you didn't have a negative perception of hunting. You just didn't have that. I mean, you had your family that had hunted, but you didn't have that much experience yourself in hunting. Right. If you had, if you or someone like you are a non-hunter had this information, I think that would change perceptions drastically. And um, anyway, what I'm trying to say is the impact that you're making on the industry is huge, probably bigger than what you know. Oh, no, there's no doubt. There's no you're doubt. Inside of it, looking out, right? But if an outsider looking in, you're like the impact that you're making. So if you guys are listening to this podcast, guys, like you definitely got to uh, look at some of this content. Blood Origins, Robbie Kroger, huge impact for the industry and huge impact for just everybody wanting to know anything about hunting and any kind mm -hmm. of yeah, it's funny. You never know who's watching you on social media. Mm. That dude does not ever engage you. Okay. And that number one is sort of why we do what we do. Like there's, you know, huge accounts, you know, half million, million strong accounts that we we will purposely say something on. Because like we're not going to change the person's viewpoint about hunting. Like they've they've posted something that's anti-hunting whatever it is, we'll respond. We'll say something that's very honest, you know, we'll be, and, and that's one of sort of the, one of the, 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 the deflecting tactics we use is that if somebody's calling out all oh, these bloody, you know, rich white Americans that come to Africa, just want to shoot a lion. We'll be honest. Like, yeah, they are. And there are people that do that and we can't change their motivation. Look, just for a second, let's just focus on the benefit of the action. Just for a second. If you're truly interested in wildlife conservation, like you said you are, you're truly interested in like having lions around for our kids and our grandkids one day, wouldn't you agree with me that habitat is the most fundamental element for lions to be around? That's what we'd say in the comment. And if you do agree with me, then you would be all for an activity that protects, you know, 1.5 million square kilometers of habitat all across Africa, right? Did you know that that's hunting? <laughs> so it's it's almost like you've, and, and the thing is, we're not, again, we're not trying to convince the person who posted to change their minds, but I know 100,000 people just read what I wrote. Right. Well, there's 100,000 people that read what they wrote. So to add some truth to it that another hundred thousand or the same hundred thousand is going to read your comment too. Right. Right. And, you know, I know that, you know, again, what we're trying to, what we're trying to breed and create is a new narrative around 
how to speak about hunting, about who, what you do, why you do it. And that, you know, that takes a little bit of confidence. Um, it also takes a little bit of information and a little bit of repetitiveness that someone hears me talk about X all the time. Next time they hear somebody say X, they can either verbally say something that is intelligent and they're confident about it. They can write something about it. To me is that's the win for us, but it's so difficult. Like, you know, I'm in the nonprofit game, so I have to show like, I guess, impacts. Like I, that I can't, there's no way I can t understand what that impact is. Yeah. How do you quantify the, that type of impact? No, you can't. Yeah. The only thing is you get you get the random the you know every so often the person who tags you and says you need to go check out Blood Origins because in a massive like anti-hunting post or someone who reaches out or it's a comment response like the best one I've ever received was it was a big account. It was like one of these like the real Tarzan like 6 million people or something stupid, right? And I said something and the response was from someone that it said, I'm a bleeding heart vegan, and even this guy makes sense to me. <laughs> That's great. How much how much time do you spend um on social commenting on posts? Constantly. Constantly. And that's the thing, right? It's a I love the job. We're full time now. Started in January doing the job full time. Congrats, man. That's a big move. But but we are you're constantly on. So it's tough. The balance part, like the balance of life and the balance of, you know, going and working in the vegetable garden and taking time to play with the kids. And, um, cause the phone is life right now. Life, the phone is my job and commenting is our job. And that is, and it's, it's non-stop. Like it is, there is no break to it. There's no weekends to it. There's no holidays to it. It is always, always, always on. And yeah. even more so probably on holidays and on weekends when people are more active on that social media platform. So yeah, we're on constantly. It's a it's a it's a blessing to be able to do this. I love the job. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Um I just internally need, I struggle with like my balance and I'll figure that out. Yeah. soon i have to figure it out soon otherwise <laughs> we'll be in trouble especially when you're the type of guy that doesn't uh that it bugs you when you have that red notification on your phone mm. <laughs> yeah exactly. Just leave it there. <laughs> exactly yeah so uh, i want to back up a little bit i'm always curious on how people got into hunting because a lot like you like um you know, I want to know how that introduction was made. And, and most people I talk to is through their parents, through a, either a, a father or even a mother or a grandpa. But um, yours was a little bit adult onset, they call it. So you're a little bit older. And when you moved to the States, yep. how did you get introduced? <laughs> I, uh, I moved to the States. When I moved to the States, I moved to Mississippi, Hodonk Town, Mississippi. Right. You know, bastion of redneck hunting. And, uh, I just, I met a guy that I worked with that he's a, he's, he's a best mate of mine today. I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. He's six foot five, 250 pound redneck. And, uh, you know, had a, he had a lot of guns and, you know, 
talked about hunting? Have you done hunting? No, I haven't. Do you know what it? I said, yeah, I know what it is. And it's like, do you want to do it? And so we had to go through the whole hunter education, you know, that kind of stuff. And then literally, you know, the first hunt was a semi-automatic 308. Um, never really shot a semi-automatic 308 before. And he gave me a lawn chair and pointed me towards a wood line and said, go sit under that tree. And if something brown walks by, shoot it. <laughs> that was hunting. You know, that was good old farm country Mississippi hunting. Right. And very quickly you know as as i said just came in late i was 26 so between like 26 and 29 26 and 30 i got married uh 30 31 in between that time frame i had to go through like the cycles the evolution of a hunter very very quickly right like i shot something first you have to shoot something then i was like oh man i love that now i want to shoot a lot of things <laughs> didn't care like what age what whatever you know you just shot a lot if the you know three does came in the field three does were getting laid out you know um then i was you know chasing a big one I'm, i guess i'm still chasing a big one i've, I've killed two bucks two white-tailed deer in 15 years of hunting um and then yeah then it just progressed from there right I, I got a better job i got more resources i wasn't a student anymore was you know got introduced to different kinds of hunting got introduced to turkey hunting got introduced to you know more big game style hunting and had more money and that's just the the progression and then obviously you know when blood origin started five years ago um then it was more about like I was in a stage with my kids. They were five and three, introducing them to hunting. Like, why am I doing this the way that I'm doing it? Thinking about them. How do I introduce them to it? So I went through all the stages of hunting. But no, my introduction was just classic, good, redneck style, Mississippi, whitetail hunting. Yeah. So take me back to that moment. This is going to be, a, a, you know, how you do kind of like your why. I'm not necessarily asking your why, but the moment that you're like, I the bug bit you. You're like, this hunting thing is pretty cool. I want to keep doing it. Do you remember that moment? Uh, there were several, but like that first hunt, I don't think I've ever talked about this on the first hunt. That first hunt, I was sat under the tree. It was a morning hunt. Didn't see anything. And I'd, I'd we'd gotten to know the property. So I walked from there like down across a dam levee walked up and I walked into the backfield and walked along and there's a little, the, the field like narrows down to a little road between that and the next field. And literally as I'm walking, a freaking buck walks out onto the road, like a nice one. Like today, even like in my brain, he probably was a 125, you know, that's the kind of deer that I've shot here to one, I think a 125 and 131 or something like that. But I was like, Oh, there he is. Lifted the gun up, sighted him in with my scope, pulled the trigger, and the thing went click. Um, and the buck put his head up and looked at me and ran off. And it was a it was a glimpse into my future as a hunter because I've had lots of clicks in my life <laughs> uh, since then. But I walked home and I walked to Landon. Was, he was at the house already. And I said, he goes, did you see anything? I said, man, I just saw a brilliant buck, but your gun is broken. <laughs> There's something wrong with your gun. He was like, what are you talking about? 
I said, yeah, you try. You shoot it. You use the same bullet. You shoot it. Took the bullet out, racks it, shoots at the target, gun goes off. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I did the same thing. He goes, what do you mean you did the same thing? It would have gone off if you had you'd done the same thing. I said, no. He said, I said, what? I did what you told me. I got in the stand. I sat down. I loaded a gun, but then I just eased it forward so that it didn't make a noise, like a big clack clack. And he goes, oh, that's what you did wrong. You eased it forward and you didn't ease it forward enough. You didn't push it in. You just eased it and left it, which left like a millimeter between the firing pin and the and the bullet itself. So I think that's like that that moment, like seeing the buck and the the whole like adrenaline. Um, I just that was to me all of I still get it, right? I still, if I'm sitting in a whitetail stand and a doe walks out, I'm like <gasps> <laughs> you know, I'm just like I love it, man. I absolutely that to me that it was just like an adrenaline of, like I don't know, being close to wildlife. I loved wildlife, you know. In South Africa, as a game ranger, that's what kids you want to be. And it was a cool way to see wildlife. And yeah, cool way to see places. And so, yeah, yeah. And it's different. I think it's different than someone going out to the the woods or the mountains for the sole purpose of just viewing wildlife. Because yeah. you don't get the adrenaline rush that you do when you're hunting. Because when you're hunting, there's a goal. The goal, and it's the goal is just the five percent, you know, of like, okay, here's the goal. This is icing on the cake. But the ninety-five percent is the sitting in the in the lawn chair that you're sitting in, the waiting and not seeing anything, the going for the walk, going through nature. But you still have a goal in mind. And when that buck came out, and that goal presented itself, like, wait. This is a low chance. Like the percentage of this that happened was really, really low. And yeah. the goal's here. I'm ready. Do I take advantage of this goal of what I'm trying to do? And obviously everything has to go just right and perfectly for that to happen. And it didn't, but you felt that adrenaline rush. Cause that's completely different than someone just viewing an animal with that yeah. one goal in mind of like possibly to shoot that animal. Yeah, and I think it was divine intervention that that gun didn't go off then because then I would have been like, oh, this is easy. And I, like, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. killed, and I think I think Landon, my buddy, killed the same buck like two or three years later on the property. Um, but yeah, it would have been too easy. Yeah. Well, how I kind of stumbled upon you is obviously on social media, Instagram. And I've seen a couple of your videos, but the one that I'm a big DIY hunter. I, I love doing, I do a lot of guided hunting too, but my favorite is trying to figure it out myself. Um, and I saw the video you posted about New Zealand being yeah. like that Mecca of DIY hunting. Mecca. Mecca. And I was like, oh, wait, I didn't even think about that. I thought of like most red stag hunting as, as high fence and any free range is just not very good. And um, I saw that video in New Zealand, which really obviously caught my attention. But then as I started digging more into what you were doing, I'm like, wow, this guy's doing a lot for the industry and a ton of like projects. You do a lot of documentaries. You got the podcast, you have the YouTube channel. I think my viewers, my viewers don't know about you. I really want them to know about some of the projects that you're doing. Um, yeah. You're with your um, uh, nonprofit. So can you hit on a couple of some of the big ones? Some of the ones that they, I don't I know there's probably not a you can't say there's a favorite, but like maybe some big ones are on the top of your mind. Yeah. So, you know, we've we've created a model that we we quite enjoy, which is find a project, 
find the money for it, implement it, then storytell the heck out of it. Um, and that's just showcasing the good work that's happening all over the world from a hunter's perspective. So this year alone, you know, we've got, uh, we've invested about 75,000 us dollars. Actually, I went over budget because of the storytelling. I think we're at like $88,000 into New Zealand. Um, the vast majority of that went into putting traps into the landscapes and watersheds to trap stoats and rats and mice to protect native fauna specifically ducks fio and kiwis with three different organizations down there and then we went in and we told their story right that was the whole point it's like it's good to implement projects we we're pretty good at doing that from a hunting perspective but nobody knows about it right nobody knows how good a job people are actually doing for instance i was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday there's this orphanage in craddock eastern cape that used to be like 12 kids in a dirty, ratty room. Nobody knew anything about them. Nobody was looking after them, caring for them, whatnots, nothing. A safari outfitting company in South Africa, Tam Safaris, looked at the orphanage, worked with people in the US, hunters specifically. And that orphanage now serves like 200 kids and has massive impact in the community. And it's, you know, a quarter million dollar endeavor on a yearly basis now. But nobody knows that story. Very, very few hunters actually even know that story. Um, so that's the kind of thing like that we like to tell. So we invested in New Zealand. We've invested in Zimbabwe in a rewilding effort for anti-poaching this year. Um, we just invested in a communications tower in Tanzania for anti-poaching scouts, a relay station. We've worked with Hunters for the Hungry out of Wyoming. We've raised money for black bear collaring work in Arkansas. Um, and then we also have our documentary projects that we raise money for. So the documentary projects are really the storytelling of our why, of what we do around the world for people, for wildlife, for communities. <clears throat> and so we've done stories in South Africa. We just were halfway through, three quarters of the way through a story in, in Spain they got a lot of press coverage earlier this year. We're in like 12 different newspaper articles. Um, we're busy uh, in post-production, really strong post-production on a, on a film that's close to your heart in Colorado called Lionheart, which is a lion houndsman documentary uh, that is going to be, is being built specifically for non-hunters. And it's going to go into the, into the film festival circuit. Uh, we're actually going to, the plan is right now, it just depends. If we get into Sundance, if we get accepted into Sundance, we can't debut the full film. So we'll do a teaser. But we're planning to debut something August the 11th at the inaugural Colorado Outdoor Day, Outdoor Festival. I don't know if you've heard about it. Dan Gates is is behind it The out for Predator and Trapping down in Cannon City. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so we... We'll be debuting our, our Lionheart there that night. I think Friday night. Something about Lionheart. Um, obviously, we just did a bunch of stuff on New Zealand. We've got a proof documentary coming out of Zimbabwe that I'm literally going to see the final final this morning on. Uh, we've got a, a proof documentary coming out of Zambia that is showcasing... Uh, the, the this proof is really to show what a ban on hunting is going to do in a very natural experiment way. There's some islands in a in a lake that are there's a gradient from private to absolutely no rules kind of island. 
and look at the gradient of wildlife through those islands to show like what happens if you ban hunting well all of these islands over here that have no rules start expanding over to these islands that are privately owned and they look after wildlife yeah. um yeah so we've got a lot as you said we've got a lot in the hopper uh we're always looking for good conservation projects we're always looking for good documentary stories um so if your listeners are listening to this reach out to us let us know ideas that you have people that you know projects that you know of um we're always interested yeah and guys i'll obviously i'll link everything in the description here on this on my youtube channel and then social media i'll definitely link these guys tag these guys plug these guys a lot so so with all this um, filming and creating content did you have a background in this or how do you get this because i film some film my hunts too i do a lot of like self-filming and like man it is hard man <laughs> no 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 i you know i've got a i've got a science background i've got a phd in wetland ecology and aquatic biogeochemistry um i'm a creative guy what i want it to look like and what i want it to feel like and then i just try to hire the best people i possibly could with the money i had and those guys have grown with me and they have matured with me. They've grown their businesses respectively. Um, and they understand more about what I am and what I'm looking for. And so that's what we do. We just, I just have good people doing good work. You know, I supplement that content with, you know, what I do from a talking head perspective. So pushing our perspectives out there, our opinions out there. But yeah, we just, just hire the best. Um, and yeah, we've got a stable of thoroughbreds, man. We've got the best, best cameramen, best cinematographers in the world at our fingertips. When it's important too, like, especially the impact you guys are making, you can't just put out a, a C mm -hmm. film. Like it's gotta be an A film. Like, it, No, that's what set us good. apart to start with is that we set the, I set the quality bar so high. Mm -hmm. I had to, I had to differentiate ourselves from the other, the thousand other people that were pitching you know, other concepts, I guess. Man, you guys got to get on discovery. Yeah. One day, one yeah. day. I got some ideas. I got if I some ideas. someone, man, I would, I would hook it up. <laughs> we got some ideas. We got some ideas of like what we want to do. Uh, we got some good discovery type content brewing in the background that yeah. I think that, that would, that would fit probably, probably well. I think so too, man. I think it'd be fantastic. Well, on a, on a selfish note, man, I want to know more about New Zealand um and how people can you know do that do that hunt without you know the difference maybe between hiring a outfitter to go to new zealand and trying to do it on their self man because i know that's what you guys just kind of came off of and it might be somewhat fresh for you yeah so new zealand has a phenomenal public land system through doc which is the department of conservation you can go on the department of conservation's website they're called doc so department of conservation new zealand uh, there's also an app that you can download, which is like, you may find it on Doc's website, um, but there's an app that shows you all the public lands in New Zealand. Okay, that When you're driving down the road, it'll tell you where public land is and where it is. It's almost like Onyx, but it's not as fancy as Onyx, okay? Um, any piece of public land, you can you need a hunting license. That's free. You apply for it through the Department of Conservation. It's free. Um you need to take your gun in there um, or your bow 
that's not impossible. Guns are more difficult than bows to get into the country, but it's not impossible to get them in. And then you can go hunt. And that's the thing. You can you can hunt whatever you want. Um, there's nothing really... Say that again? So with a license, you can hunt any species, or do you need like a license? Whatever you want. Whatever, whatever you want. You want. Huh. Whatever gender you want, whatever age you want, however, how many you want. So you can go in. Um, one of the guys that responded, and I would, you know, I'm probably going to give him more business, not more business, but more people heading his way. If you go to that 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 video that I posted, there was a guy that responded in there from the U.S. Who had just spent a month in New Zealand doing public land hunting and he killed a red, a fallow, a chamois, a tar. I don't know if he killed something else, but he killed the big boy, the big things on public ground. Dang. And so you can, you know, there's lots of there's forums. I would do the same thing you did in the, that you would do in the US. There. There's forums, you can find places to hunt. It depends on the type of species you want to hunt. You can hunt sambar deer. You can hunt seeker deer. You can hunt them in the rut. You can hunt them in the velvet. You can hunt them out of season. Um, you can hunt fallow deer. You can hunt red deer. You can hunt arapawa rams. You can, you know, one of the big adventures that you do, it's a ballot drawing though, so you'd have to put in, but there's an island off the southern tip of New Zealand called Stewart Island. And you hunt whitetails. No in, on Stewart Island, on the beach, essentially. Oh. It's like it's like almost like a Sitka blacktail, Alaska type hunt, but it's whitetails in New Zealand. Um, you can hunt whitetails in New Zealand. Um, there's wapiti in New Zealand, and wapiti is wapiti, but it's an it's a red elk hybrid in Fjordland, and Fjordland is a ballot block. Okay, if you want to go in the raw. These things will bugle raw. It's a very, it's a weird hybrid mix, but it's just incredible landscape. It's a Jurassic Park landscape. I'm telling now, it's like ferns wow. everywhere. Eight meters of rain a year. People leave. If you get 10 days in there, if you draw your ballot, people typically leave at day five or six because they can't handle it. Really? Because of all the rainfall? Too wet, too cold, uh, too steep. You know, it's just a nasty, nasty place. But if you're after an adventure to kill a nice bull, and they and they, you know, they they tell you we want we're growing trophy here. So, you know, 12 point, 14 point, 16 point bulls, that's what they do it on. They don't do it on class system. That's what they're after. And you can have a great time. And here's the beautiful thing about Fjordland. During the raw, which is a set period of time, I, I don't know when it is from like maybe March 15th through like June 1 is ballot, straw only blocks. But June 2nd, anybody can go in there. Huh. That's you can hunt your life, you know, you can hunt to your, your heart's content, you know. Um, so it's just, it's just New Zealand, like the West. Like I haven't hunted a lot in the West, so I don't have much of experience. You've got some steep ground in the West, but New Zealand is it's it's like it's Jurassic. Right? It's almost like the Yukon, Alaska Yukon, like on steroids. Yeah. It's like Mordor. That's why they filmed freaking 
Lord of the Rings down there because it just looks like hell. So are people doing like um, bush plane to get to remote places? Or so like... I'll give you an idea. I'll give you an idea. So where we went and filmed Seeker, yeah, we got there right in the middle of the rut. It was April twenty second, full moon. Seekers were roaring everywhere. I was like, it was brilliant. It was, it was, I'd never heard them roar. We got in amongst them. It was brilliant. The forest is like, it's primordial. There's moss everywhere. There's ferns everywhere. There's river crossings everywhere. So you, you have to have good gaiters. You have to have waterproof boots because you're going to get wet all day long. Okay. We stayed in a hut. It's called the Cascade Hut. Costs you five bucks a night on a system to stay in the hut. No kidding. You can walk into the hut from the car park. It's a long ass walk. It's like 18 kilometers. But you can walk in there. It's going to take you all day. Or you can get Selly, you know, uh, Heli Seeker. It's a helicopter company that lives right there by the parking lot. And for 500 bucks, they'll fly you in there. It'll be an eight minute flight. Yeah. Completely and, <laughs> and you tell them, come pick me up in 10 days' time. You take in all your food. There's really good water there. There's a good house, firewood, and you just hunt. Yeah. And there's seeker in there. I don't I don't know if there's anything else. There's not much else in there. There's a couple of reds. Um so you'd be you would be purposely going off to seeker. Right. But there's lots of other places like that in all other country, right? Tar country. Find a backcountry hut. You can walk into it. It's going to be a long ass walk to get in there or chopper in there and sort of make a route between one hut and another hut. And you're going to tell the helicopter pilot, come pick me up at that hut in eight days' time. Make sure you've got your inReach and your satellite communicator and then just go, man. Sounds amazing. And it's free. Like they, so that's free, right? Then there's another tier underneath that that is just is expensive but is not as expensive okay so when i say so that would be hiring a guy is a guy um, on instagram called hard yards hunting in, in new zealand hard yards is like a good pull up the mountain like those are hard yards right like, I get it. that's what they it's colloquialism in new zealand his name's um joseph peters and he's a guide, but he doesn't guide on private ground. He guides on public. Mm. So he knows where the animals are. You know, he's going to guide you, help you kind of scenario. So if you want a guide, you want someone to help you, it's going to cost you a little bit more other than free. But you can still have an amazing adventure. And then the final step would be you have a lot of money <laughs> and you hire it. You go to an estate, you know, high fenced hunting operation there's lots of really really good ones um and you can hunt whatever you you know they, they've got arapahas arapaha rams they've got fallow deer they've got red stags they've got elk um you know whatever they've got you know places if it's seeker other places have sandbar you know whatever you want um you can really hunt it and but again it's, it's tied to your pocketbook um and they're true you know the 
again, to be truthful, they scale it to the ability of you as the hunter, right? So you could hunt a high fence operation that would kick your ass just like you would on, on public ground, right? Or super easy hunt. It's up to you. Yeah, it sounds like they have it all. And, and, and you know, high fencer, I've I've hunted high fence before just for the experience to have fun. It's not my cup of tea. Typically, one, I don't have the pocketbook deep enough to always do that. And um, there's just something about knowing that there's animals in a fence, whether or not I see the fence or not, whether or not there's, you know, thousands and thousands of acres. I just, I prefer the the free chase, the public, you know, and I'm okay getting skunked. You know, I'm okay not getting anything. It's about the experience for me. But it sounds amazing, man. It's I definitely need to. I've already talked to the wife after seeing your video and talking to you a little bit on Instagram. Like, hey, do you want to go to New Zealand? Because we're going. <laughs> and look, there's the thing is that there's amazing things to do outside of hunting in New Zealand. It's just, it's the adventure capital of the world. Highest bungee jump. Well, no, it's not really. It's the second highest bungee jump in the world. There's some jet boating stuff. Um, you go to a place called Rotorua. And there's like thermal springs everywhere. If you know where to turn off, you don't have to pay for thermal springs because the river is just there and the river's public and the river has a bunch of thermal pools in it, right? To the point where it's so hot, you can't get close to the thermal pool. You have to be downstream of it so that the water, you know, cools itself a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, you have beaches that you can dig in the sand and warm, you know, thermal water comes into the the, the hole in the sand that you, you, you made in the beach um to great fishing and great spear fishing and and just friendly people also just really 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 friendly people good food good local you know they love their you know very local eating type culture but also at the same time just not like a you would expect a really 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 first world type culture it's just it's first world don't get me wrong but it's almost like five years behind us or 10 years behind us. Yeah. Like wife isn't great. Cell phone coverage sucks ass. <laughs> um, your highways, there's not a single like double laned highway in New Zealand. They're all single lane highways. You're like, what the hell? They just don't have the people for it. Right. There's no, like, there's no point. There's no reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's amazing. You need to go for sure. Sounds amazing, man. There's one more topic I wanted to go over, Robbie, if you, if you still have time for it. Yeah, of course. Pretty new. I mean, it's not new. It's been going on for a while, but like it, it just came out that uh, the hunters, hunters got a little bit of a victory here. I, I'm sure you're pretty privy with the corner crossing. Oh uh, yeah, I'm. I'm going to podcast this evening about it. Actually, about it. Can we touch on it a little bit? On yeah, this for sure. Lots of opinions because obviously I have mine. I'm very happy of the ruling, the ruled for the hunters. Be, and it opens up and frees up a ton of public land. If you guys are not privy with this, is there's a couple guys, I believe they were out of, was it Wyoming or Montana? I think it was Wyoming, right? Wyoming. Wyoming. That, um, man, it's, it's, I don't have enough time if I to explain all of it, but the gist of it is there is public land that are cornered touching that are locked up and there's a gray area that for, you can't jump from corner to corner. What's a gray area? You can, you can't, it, it's, it's no one really knew if you could or not um, from jumping from one side to the other, across the corner to go from public land to public land. A couple of guys got charged with trespassing. They fought it. 
huge battle and it's the battle is way bigger than what we think of a normal trespassing charge because this is going to be the president's to say hey can we access hundreds of thousands of public land that used to be not being able to be accessed but robbie tell me tell me your opinion man enough about me rambling what do you got to say about it yeah i think so the the original grayness was that there was an infinite think of it like a column of air that went from the ground to infinity that uh that if you think about it like a circle was owned by four different things and so when you move through that airspace you were trespassing on quote unquote someone's land which it wasn't technically land it was just the air above it and so if you if you truly stepped from one corner to the other you never truly trespassed you never really stepped on someone's ground now I think probably, and I don't know this for sure, I'll find out tonight, but I would think that the whole idea of that corner crossing rule in the beginning to start with was legitimate and probably has a lot of people scared today as it's changed in that what's going to stop the person just going, seeing an animal over there and just sort of weaving, taking the animal and draw, pulling it back onto public ground. Hopefully people do the right thing and respect the boundaries and respect the private land, public land interface, which they do already. All right. Not saying they don't do it right now. It's just going to be a little bit more challenging and there's going to be a little bit more temptation now yes. because there's lots more corners yes. that intersect. But I agree with you. I think it's a great thing. Um, in terms of access, especially like when you think about hunting and its issues with like keeping people in and the, the probably the major, you know, Matt Ranella that we have on our podcast regularly talks about this and started, you know, Hunters, Hunters for Access program. Access is like the, one of the hurdles that struggle people struggle with when it comes to becoming a hunter. And then people push back and say, well, we shouldn't be recruiting more hunters because we don't have space for more hunters. It's already crowded as it is, people. Stop making more hunters. Well, in Wyoming, because of this case, we just opened up 2.4 million acres of public ground. Yeah, That's huge, right? Now, the problem is, will people, again, do the right thing, abide by the way that it's supposed to be abided by, don't sidestep don't go around don't cut a corner do the right thing because that's going to have that's going to be the next thing that's going to happen i guarantee it yeah i'll put money on it right now yeah is that there's going to be a landowner that's probably on a that has a corner that's probably easily accessible that accesses a lot more behind it that's becoming going to become almost like a throughway highway for people. And he's going to monitor it. Yeah. And he's going to have law enforcement and he's going to have cameras or something like that. And someone's going to step out of line. Oh yeah. It'll happen. Someone's going to do the wrong thing. And mm -hmm. then that's going to come, that's going to then enforce, then that's going to go to court. There's going to be suits and this whole thing's going to come up again. I, I can put money on that happening because people, yeah are people unfortunately yeah and but it's just human it's nature a great life. what's that sorry i said no it was a great i think it's a great thing yeah 
And it's human nature sometimes is we get an inch and we want to push and try to make three. And I understand it's going to happen. And, and I've had my own frustrations with Wyoming. And I understand the landowner side. I understand the hunter side. I went to why I went and did an antelope slash mule deer hunt last year in Wyoming. And I thought I had a lot of public land. I didn't go scout boots on the ground. I e-scouted it. And um, when I got there, I realized that there was private land surrounding the public land and had landlocked majority of the public land I was planning to hunt. And we're not talking about a few acres. We're talking about thousands and thousands of acres. So I was definitely frustrated that I couldn't reach this public land that the public pays for. Mm -hmm. Um, But I understand the owner's point of view too is, man, if, if my land's surrounding this public land, now my land just increased by X amount of acres because no one can get to the public land. It basically becomes my land and then your land becomes more valuable. I understand that as a business side, whether or not it's right or not. Um, I also understand landowners of not wanting hundreds of hunters crossing through and buy their land. And not every hunter, like you said, is like few, there's few bad apples in every bush in every industry. Not every hunter is going to respect that a landowner's land right. but I, I you know i see both sides of it and but i do think this was a good thing to unlock some public land that's been locked up and that we're paying for the public's paying for you know yeah i'm with you man i'm with you so we're gonna go i'm actually podcasting with the bha lawyer tonight that wrote the amicus brief no kidding of the um that obviously won the sort of case so um yeah we'll get into the details of it later today um yeah well no i think it's a good thing and i don't know if it's going to be you know what that means for other western states because everyone's in the same boat you know do they do the same thing or does you know legislation get proposed that then sort of mimics what happens in what's happened in wyoming right i mean off the top of the head you think okay the dominoes will fall and the rest of the states will follow suit with whatever ruling had just happened. But yes, I mean, obviously, if you're on the other end of the spectrum, you want to put legislation in to stop that, right? So, um, Yeah, but I don't think they would win because there's precedence now and there's law on the books. That's what the whole legal system is, right? Once someone says X and agrees with X, well, then X applies. Everything. Everything, yeah. Yeah, X applies, yeah. So exciting stuff for hunters. Um, and Robbie, I know I, I pushed you over time here a little bit. Oh, it's all good. Appreciate that, man. But, um, any other burning topics you want to talk about before we, we say goodbye? No, I, I just, I'd leave people that have hung on this long, um, with one thing. And a lot of people typically ask me like, what can we do? Hmm. What can we do for hunting? What can we do for blood origins? Number one, um, if you have means financial means you can support us uh we only ask for the cost of a cup of coffee a month so three bucks a month four bucks a month five bucks a month donate that to us it helps us do what we do every single day and you also get thrown into um a giveaway every month of all sorts of gift cards and gear and all sorts of cool stuff um we've got a couple of hunts coming so it's worth your bucks for multiple reasons uh, if you cannot support us financially, you're like, oh, I don't have that money. It's like, well, I think you do because you buy a cup of coffee probably every week. 
So, <laughs> uh, but I understand. I understand. Times are tough. Um, then all I would ask is share the content. Share, 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 because that's introducing the content. That's not Robbie. It's not Blood Origins. It's our hunting community's content into your non-hunting circles. So I would share it. And if you are like, ah, I don't like sharing shit. But okay. <laughs> then, then all I would ask you to do is think. I want you to think because thinking is going to save hunting. If you think before you take your shot, is this a good shot to take? Is it not a good shot to take? Should I take it? What What is going to happen if I do take the shot? Yada, yada, yada. Think before you post a picture. Is this a good picture? Is it not a good picture? Does it help herd hunting? Think before you write the comment. Did I give enough context? If someone watches this from outside my circle and sees this, what are they seeing about me? Are they seeing that you're a cold-blooded killer or that you respect wildlife? And then think that before you say something back to someone, if someone says X, Y, I hate you, you're a liberal snowflake because you use a trad bow. <laughs> think before you respond because... You know, your response is a reflection on us as hunters in the hunting community. So three small things that you can do that will just, you know, help the ball get the rock, the stone, get pushed up the mountain. Yeah. I'm going to add to that a little bit. Non-hunters, if you're listening to the podcast, or anti-hunters, if you're probably probably not, or maybe listening to it for some ammo that you could probably find, <laughs> is the thing, right? Like, some of the things we didn't go in huge depth in some of the stuff, but we, you know, we grazed some good topics and think about hunting and try to just open up your mind a little bit to why so many people do it and what that does for um, conservation, you know? So, mm -hmm. and I'm more than willing to reach out to me. I'm more than willing to have a conversation with anybody individually. I'm sure Robbie is too. And sure. Just open up your mind a little bit. Yeah. We, uh, we actually, a podcast that I really like to do, I've done a couple of them now, is just, you don't like hunting, you don't understand hunting, you're a non-hunter, or you are non-hunter leaning against hunting, come on our podcast. It's an open forum, and then you can ask me any question you want about hunting. Anything. No prep, don't send me the questions. Yeah. Just let's get on a podcast, we'll record it. And you asked me questions. I did one with an 18-year-old Kenyan girl Ooh. who slid into my DMs and said, I do not understand the purpose of your Instagram. And I said, really? <laughs> I said, well, here it is. And she then backed and forth, back and forth. I said, look, I can't back and forth with you on Instagram. I said, why don't you just come on my podcast? And we'll just, you can ask me anything you want. And when people listen to that, I think it's like episode seven. It was like one of the very, very first podcasts. I think we're at like episode 360 now. Um, but go listen. Her name is Mimo Somay. And um, in, it's an hour and 20 minutes, hour and 30 minutes. But at like 45 minute mark, you can hear her break. Like she can just, she, she's just like, she doesn't have hardly any more questions because she's just like, oh, you know, she. there was some crazy stuff. Then the other one, other good one I had was, with somebody very influential here in the United States, a lady called Jen Wiederstrom. Jen Wiederstrom is a fitness influencer. Um, 
sort of coach, nutrition, life, um, strength coach. And she, her claim to fame was she was on the one of the she was on the coach one of the coaches of the Biggest Loser. And uh, she commented on a post. Here's how the this is how our life works. She commented on a post by a charity that's completely anti-hunting about a crocodile and how dare someone kill a crocodile. And I got tagged into that post, so I looked, I commented, and then I looked down. I always do this. I, I look to see who else commented. And Jen Wiederstrom commented saying, how disgusting. And so I responded to her and then I, I DM'd her and I said, look, we live in the same circles of friends. I said, what that post didn't tell you and that I know is when they cut the belly open of that crocodile, there were six shoes of people in the belly of that crocodile. Whoa. Did you know that there was a man eater, Jen? Hmm. Oh my God, I didn't. And I said, Jen, come on my podcast and let's talk about wildlife conservation and hunting and what it does. And her famous quote that she quoted that I used as a quote in my podcast was, you defend things I unfollow on Instagram. Huh. But she's a good friend now. And she was like, my eyes are opened. Thank you. That's awesome, man. That makes me want to do some of the stuff, some of that stuff on my podcast too. I think it'd be fun. You need to. Interesting, but fun. Well, just be ready because you don't know what's going to hit you. You got to have your act. You, you can't like stutter, right? You just, because who knows what they're going to ask. <laughs> That's true. And I'm not privy on the numbers like you are. So I'm going to have to brush up some numbers, <laughs> some stats. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, Robbie, man, thanks for coming on. I'm going to like you guys, if you're still hanging out on the podcast, I'm tagging all these linking all the stuff in the, in the description. Um, and definitely, you know, well, Robbie, why don't you tell the listeners? Just where go blood origins, everything. Blood origins. blood origins everywhere. Google, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. They have great stuff. Absolutely great stuff doing great things for the industry and for the sport and doing great things for uh, non-hunters and even anti-hunters that maybe can open up their mind a little bit and understand a different side of the story. <laughs> All right, guys, this is the Western Obsessions TV podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Belding. You're listening to Robbie Kroger with Blood Origins. This is the Western Obsessions TV podcast where hunting's not a hobby, it's an obsession. <laughs>